On this episode of Resi Week, we talk controlling fans, Nortec rebrands as nice, and freedom from the field. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 316, Our Own Worst Enemy. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by FSR. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matty Scott for avnation.tv. This week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, it's Catherine Wheeler. She is an area sales manager for Snap One, uh, previously known as Snap AV. How you doing, Kat? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you for being here. Uh, next, but certainly not least, is my good friend, Mr. Henry Clifford. He is the president of Livewire and the co-founder of Paracel. How you doing, Henry? What's going on, Matt? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. All right, we are going to kick this off with a story that comes to us from CE Pro. Smart ceiling fans are the forgotten light fixtures of the ceiling. Uh, there are 12 million plus ceiling fans sold annually in the U.S., and these seem to be the next big thing for automation. Kat, I, I want to start with you on this one because I agree and dramatically disagree with this assessment. And let me tell you why. <laughs> ceiling fans are great. Good quality controllable ceiling fans are egregiously expensive. Ceiling fans that most people want to buy are cheap and the control sucks. So, Cat Wheeler, does our acceptance of ceiling fans and our desire to control them, does this completely and unequivocally revolve around the quality of the API that these fan manufacturers are going to give us? I mean, yes, but I'm here for it and let me tell you why. <laughs> I think when, when we talk to integrators about ways to grow their business, there's there's ways you can do that. And there aren't very many ways to do it without a huge investment of infrastructure, like getting new trucks and hiring new people, which costs a ton of money. But one way to dramatically grow your business quickly is by selling things that you didn't sell before. And if fixtures are one of those things, I'm here for that. If outdoor lighting and audio is part of that, I'm here for that too. I think we need to explore all of the options available to us to be as profitable and as valuable to our customers as we can be. And then the second part of that is I'm big on integration. And the more things you integrate and integrate in, in a good, smart way, the better a system you give people. When I can wake up in the morning and my lights and shades and thermostats all do the same thing with one button, if my fan did that too and was integrated into that, not controlling it individually, that's huge. It makes everybody's lives, their quality of life better and our value to our customers better. So I'm here for it. Henry, I, I don't disagree with her. My concern is that, at least in my experience, the ceiling fixtures that are sold as controllable are controllable via another app. And that's really it. They don't really give you control. And if you put that controllable quote unquote fixture on a controllable circuit, which is the proper way to do it, you quite often run into problems where 
the fixture just doesn't want to respond properly because it can't connect to its app, blah, 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 blah. What has, do we need to interject ourselves completely and force a spec based on this until these manufacturers come up with, you know, something that's Z-Wave control and literally anything that's built in to an actual automation platform that we already use. I, I can think of maybe one brand of ceiling fans that actually has true integration and that's it. And they're quite expensive. They're beautiful, but they're quite expensive. Am I missing it on this? Uh, I, I saw Jason wrote this and, and, and I love what, what he was trying to put out there as far as the message of pushing, pushing the envelope and exploring new spaces. I think as I think about it, looking through the lens of an integrator, I think about margin, I think about services, uh, I think about, you know, if, if I have a hand in putting this ceiling fan in, what are the good things that are gonna happen as a result of that? And then I think, what are the bad things that are gonna happen as a result of that? <laughs> the, the, the good list is pretty short. It's real short. I'm not thinking I'm making much margin. I'm not really thinking there's a lot of control opportunity and I'm thinking about my own behavior with the fan. It's usually I'm getting maybe encouraged by another member of my household to do something with the fan that involves a little pull chain or something. So I'm not saying that the fans don't have their play. I can think for outdoor, for some of the, the cool outdoor lanai spaces and some of these that need true automation cut on off. Uh, the need to color temperature integration, etc. I could think of that much the same way, like Kat said, with outdoor lighting. Uh, if it's tied in with, you know, some of that outdoor infrastructure coming on, turning off, like around a pool and things like that. But for the most part, I'm I'm not really seeing a play other than it, you know, potentially some headaches and probably feels like potentially one of the the buckets where as we get more into fixtures as integrators and we're engaged in resale to electrical folks, you know, much the same way we'll do with lighting control or we'll do with fixtures. That feels like the place to sort of invest our energy is like, Hey, Mr. Electrician, I got something to, how to make your life easier. Therefore we're out of the warranty kind of thing. You yeah. know, we're the more the trusted advisor to the Mr. Sparky essentially. So, but I, I would, for us, we're going to keep the fans at, at arm's length. Now, uh, I'm surprised. I'm intrigued you said that. Not really surprised. I'm intrigued. And the reason I said this is because my company actually sells ceiling fans. And we do okay with them. But the reason we sell them is kind of to Kate's point, uh, or sorry, to Kat's point, is that we can control what's going in. So we did a huge project years ago. Um a huge Lutron project and we had spec fans, but we hadn't like firmly spec them. We just said, yeah, we're going to use these ones. And the homeowner happened to be in a lighting showroom and, and saw some cool fans and was talked into this wonderful fan with a DC motor that you cannot control speed on with any sort of lighting control. And it was a massive headache and it was a big pain in the butt and it took so much work to make function seamlessly. So we started firmly specking fans that we can control properly. And now that we control them properly, they're great. Um, but yeah, when you show up and I'm, I'm price quoting against like 
the special Lowe's had on a Hunter brand ceiling fan. Nothing against Hunter, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm out that, of that. That's game. more like what I was talking about. Yeah, I'm not out of that the game. super special, all the specifiers in the room projects. The more yeah. of like yeah. the, the bitty McBitters and nope. jobs. Yeah. No, run away, run away. Yeah. Unless it's cool and you can find a way to do it, then do it. Go make money. It's important. All right, let's change topics for a moment. This comes to us from Residential Systems. NICE consolidates their North American organization and phases out the Nortec branding. Uh, arguably slightly uh, an addition, if not a bigger part of the story, is that they are fleshing out their U.S. team, including uh, our, our friend Paul Williams and Lisa Potok. Uh, are joining that leadership team as well as, you know, they're expanding a bunch of other people. Uh, Paul is joining as chief product officer and Potok is joining as their chief financial officer. Uh, Henry, let me, let me start with you on this one. Is there a, is there a major upside or downside to the rebranding of Nortec as, as nice? Does it matter? I mean, the word nice is nice. Is nice. <laughs> uh, we However, are both dads, if you're wondering, hence why yeah, we both found that joke very funny. <laughs> so, but at the end of the day, one of my buddies, I asked him, he had a bunch of offices all over the country. I said, how do you do this? How do you sort of be the, the company that is needed in Tallahassee and Nashville, etc." And he's, man, we're local as hell everywhere we are. So I think if NICE can figure out how to be local as hell uh, for CI, I think that the... the the asset is they're this huge, large, you know, large organization, right? That's the asset. The liability is they're this huge multinational organization. So I think having the messaging, having the avatar, like having like a Frank, you know, as their avatar, having just having somebody who's kind of a channel, a channel person, um, and making it more meaningful. Like I think of two gig, for example, right, which mm -hmm. is now a part of this large umbrella i think yeah yep so and, and, yes and keep in mind they're not they're not rebranding all of those sub brands yeah right? but the, i guess my, my point is like the endearing startup cool story of like a two gig mm -hmm. right and then they get bought up by a bigger company and then a bigger you know eventually and it's nice fine but the character of the character of that the danger will robinson part of that is that can get lost without good person-to-person -person communication. So I yep. think that's the thing. As I see these brands get rolled out, and there's there's these brands now that are just completely orphaned out and widowed out because they lost the spark that that used to sort of be the cool story before they were absorbed. So that that's where I think Nice maybe has a, a has an opportunity. All right, Cat, when you when you see this. Um, what does it mean? Because Nice has been around for a while, but they have not had a North American presence uh, to the extent that Nortec has. Right? Nortec has a fairly well-known brand name. Uh, I'm not going to speculate on how many people love the Nortec brand versus hate the Nortec brand. I don't think that necessarily matters. But when a non you know, U.S. entity comes in and, and buys up a bunch of brands in North America. What does it mean to have someone like Paul Williams, who's been at Control 4, been at Savant, knows a, a boatload of people. He's a friend of the show. Um, 
what does it mean to to for for nice to have people like Paul on the grounds as chief product officer to I don't know maybe maybe calm some some concerns of that that change yeah I mean I think to Henry's point the people in any company are the most important part of the company it's the people that, that deal with the customers and that manage the products and and you know steer the direction of that ship that's the most important part but I also think you know it's an exciting thing because if we look at our industry and the ways that we've grown over the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years, over the last five years, we've seen such an investment from so many people into our, our industry and our economy and growing everything. I think it's exciting. So you know, when companies do that, again, the brand names aren't changing. So the end user facing portion of that kind of thing isn't any different. So I'm excited. I'm here for it. I'm here for everything this week. It, it I'm in a good mood like this it. week. Well, that makes one of us. Two. Henry's always in a good mood, so at least two of us. I'm, I'm um, loving life. Yes. But yeah, I mean, as long as the people <laughs> treat their customers the same, it's, you know, oh, it's, fantastic. it's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. All right. Uh, and congratulations to, to Paul. We're, we're super psyched for him. All right. Let's, let's wrap this up with a story that comes to us as well from Residential Systems and... Henry Clifford. Yeah. I typically try not to have the people who write the stinking articles on the show because at the same time, because then if I have an issue with it, I can't bring it up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But no, I don't have an issue with this at all. Um, if you haven't followed Henry and, and his writing, do it. He, he writes some phenomenal stuff, and this is no exception. Uh, it is about getting out of the field and into the pasture, talking about the abundance of remote work opportunities for techs who are looking to move on from the field because we have all heard this. Heck, I have said this, Henry, I'm sure you've said this, uh, Kat, I'm assuming you've said this once or twice uh, about wanting to get out of the field. Um, I feel like I say that every day. I'm in the field trying to fix a fan that won't talk to the proper control. See how I brought it around? Oh, all right. Um, Go to Residential Systems, read the article. It, it is very good. Kat, when you, when you read through this, when you look through this, how do we continue to push the industry to a point to where we can support a larger number of workforce people who are not necessarily in the field? Because, you know, as, as a trade type industry, the majority of our people are in the field. How do we continue to grow that umbrella so that your average tech who's in the field can see, you know, more than one or two viable paths out of the field? I mean, I think it's a great question. I think um, I think what we've seen in our industry over the last you know five years with the emergence of remote management becoming such a staple in every job that goes out in our industry has not only changed the way that our installers work and do their business, but also the level of support we're able to give to the end user. It has surpassed my wildest expectations of what it could be. And what we're doing is, is so much better than anything we've ever done before. And with that has, has expanded the opportunities available to techs what they can do remotely is is greater than what they could do before, and there are more opportunities because of that. And I only think that's going to grow, you know, more and more over time. As it, I mean, it's already a standard practice, but as it develops more, um, so I think it's a good thing. And I think the way we move people where they want to be is, you know, mentoring and and supporting 
employees and, and listening and talking to them and seeing what their goals are and their aspirations and training them to do that. And that level of training and support is available from, you know, many um, companies in our industry. So I think the opportunities are there and I only think they're going to grow with time. Um, but big fan of what we're able to do now remotely. And I think, again, it's only going to grow. Henry, uh, obviously you, you've read the article, I think. Um, <laughs> unless you're one of those people who never read what you write uh, or never listen to shows you do. Um, what does the industry, like how much does the industry have to continue to grow? Because I look at the larger integration firms in the business and they can totally do as, as your company did and bring on a remote service tech in-house, right? To, to expand what you're doing through Paracel as both a owner and a, a, a user of it, I guess, um, as your company, right? You're, you're handling initial things with Paracel and then it comes to your employee on in-house and he solves again, 27 out of 30 calls per se, um, but for the average integrator who might have two or three techs in the field, they're not big enough to support that. So how do we continue to grow that aspect of the business? D does it mean that we have to have more bigger integration firms or does it mean that we just have to find a better way to continue to expand our local shops? Yeah, I think there's this continuum of sort of rent, renting on one side and owning on the other where, yeah, I mean, we all start somewhere, right? I started in the driving a Dodge Neon out to a job site. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't have afforded a remote support technician at that point. But they didn't have service programs around like One Vision or Parasol. So now, in 2022... An integrator can rent that capability. They can go to a remote managed service provider like a OneVision or a Parasol and um, completely transfer that risk over to an outfit that is paid through subscription revenue and uh, mm. generate recurring monthly revenue for themselves. Um, and then as, as you grow, you can then convert that so now we have both, right? We have a dedicated, like a highlighted our our main awesome guy Dustin mm -hmm. in the article, who is kind of a local Parasol person, but he's only dealing with stuff that Parasol couldn't couldn't sort out the seventy, you know, the thirty percent that that they um, that they couldn't handle. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about preventing attrition. So if you have these folks in our industry who get injured. Like we just had a guy with an eye, eye injury, couldn't work in the field. Um, worked remote for us. Parasol hired him. He's got an eye injury. Well, he could still see the screen and he could still click a mouse and mm -hmm. do what he loves to do. Um, but normally that guy would have worked, would have gone to work somewhere else. Um, just been in a different, you probably would have exited the industry. So for us, if we can keep the, this knowledge base in our industry, this, these years of wisdom, and just retain that longer. I don't think it's necessarily about growing as much as it is refining what, we, what we've got and 
that makes our support capability just that much better. Instead of losing the wisdom, losing these really talented people, it's holding on to them. Do we have to redesign kind of our go-to-market strategy over remote and, and try and find a way, not try to find ways, but build better opportunities to enhance and, and expand the remote support we're offering, right? To continue to build that, that, that position. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of it's just up, it's up to us. Like we're, we're our own worst enemy. Um, I think a, there's a lot of hesitance, especially in that moment of being in a big sale opportunity with the, with the customer and the client says something like, well, this, this is going to work perfectly. Right. I mean, I'm never going to need any service. And, and I think up until very recently, <laughs> the temptation, cause you're, maybe you're in a bid situation, you, you got fear of loss, or maybe it's not you, it's one of your salespeople, mm -hmm. they're, their, their fear, their fear of loss, loss aversion gets triggered, and they say like, "Oh no, no, yeah, it's going to be great, it's going to be perfect." And versus, that's the moment in time to say, "No, no, it's going to break." What? Yeah, unless you live on a different planet where tech doesn't break, but yeah, it's going to break. Question is, what do you want to have happen when it breaks? Uh, and and I think we miss out on those opportunities um, as as an industry right now. Um, less and less, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, five years ago, that was very much the deal. We, we just didn't want to talk about service. We didn't want to talk about the total cost of ownership. Um, but now I, I see more and more folks doing that and using it as a means of differentiating themselves from their competition. And we get tons of calls at Parasol now from folks who see that the guy across town is now offering this. Mm -hmm. and, and it's making them angry. And so they, and so they, you know, what, whatever it I mean, we don't really, you know, it, it, it was just about raising the tide and lifting the ships. You know, we've always said, do it yourself, sign up with one vision, sign up with parasol, just do something right. Like let's just move it all forward. Kat, is, is there a, Is there a easy way to go about talking to your customers about how your system's going to break? Yeah. Just like that? Yes, <laughs> just like that. And just like Henry said, I think, and, and you know, my customers are obviously different because they're integrators, but talking to the end users should be the same thing. You should be upfront and honest. And as people's experience with technology has evolved over the years, I mean, people are more familiar with technology than I think we give them credit for. Everyone understands the pain of syncing devices and how things fall offline. And, you know, these things do happen. And... And being upfront and managing your customers' expectations is the most important thing an integrator can do. Talking to them about what it really does and, and maybe the things that it does do aren't the most practical things for it to do. And just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. All of those things are sales conversations you should have upfront with a customer. But also remote management and being able to service and support 90% of those issues without having to roll a truck and go on site and interrupt that customer's daily life is such a huge step forward for us as an industry. And so, I mean, I love Henry's point about you can rent and you can own. So you can do it in-house. Yes, it is an expense, but you can also hire a One Vision or a Parasol to help you get to that next level and offer a level of support to your customers that you've never been able to do before. And being able to sell that while you're managing their expectations about what technology is and does, yes, things are going to break. Everything breaks. 
But how you can fix it and resolve those issues is the salient point. Because if you can resolve those issues without somebody having to stay home from work and let you in the house and all of the things that happen, if you're able to just log in and do something and fix it, who cares if it breaks? It's fixed. I love it. All right. Let's wrap it up there. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Henry, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Livewire or Paracel, where can they do that? Sure, Matt. Uh, online, getlivewire.com, getparasol.com. And thanks again for having me today. Always, my friend. Kat, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Snap One. Where can they do that? Uh, at Snap One or SnapAV.com or Catherine.Wheeler at SnapOne.com or my personal website, which is CatWheeler.com or Cat at CatWheeler.com. Yeah, go check out catwheeler.com. She's an author. I just got her book on Amazon. You should get it too. Look at that little plug. All right, thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 